Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. Good morning, Oak City Church. Thanks for joining us this morning. Happy Mother's Day uh, to all of you that are mothers out there. Um, Happy Mother's Day to my mother. Thank you for being a great mother and to... Uh, Bobby Joe, thanks for being a great mother to my children. I wish, you know, part of me is like, man, I wish we could be together for Mother's Day. But part of me is glad that you guys get to be with your families for Mother's Day. And, uh, and thanks for tuning in. So uh, this week, we are in the second to last week in a series that we have called Connecting the Dots. We've gone through the whole Bible from the beginning of uh, the year until now and the sweep of the Bible, and we're at the end of it. But at the end of it, um, like it's, it's how the little stories of the Bible tell, the, tell God's big story and help us understand our story. But at the end of it, all the dots aren't connected, right? We're waiting for some really big dots to be connected, and we're not exactly sure what it's going to look like when they are connected. And so we live in this space where all the dots aren't connected, and there's some tension living in that space. And that's what I want to talk about. This morning, I'm going to um, preach out of 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, that whole letter really does an amazing job of speaking to the tension that we now live in, but this passage in particular. So here it is, First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, It's undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though for now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes even though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Father, um, as I preach, I pray that you would open our hearts to your word. I thank you how you've opened my heart to your word this week, Lord. I pray that Um, What is heard may be better than what is said by me, God, that you would be the one that's speaking through the voice of your spirit to us. I pray this in Jesus' name. This message is uh, really opens the door on hope, and, and so much of it is about hope, and hope is always about something that we don't yet have. It's about the future, about something that hasn't been realized yet, and hope is like it's the belief that of the possibility of a preferred future and it's what gets you out of bed in the morning when you don't have hope you stop your motivation goes away and you stop wanting to get out of bed in the morning and it can even be like the preferred future of the maintaining of the present like your present could be great you know but the preferred future is that it stays this good um, and that's what gets you going hope is about joy we know that we're made to be up You know what I mean? We're not made to be down. We're not made to be depressed. And so we look for things that would make us um, happy and joyful. And and we're made for things like productivity and love and uh, and commitment and meaning. But those things result in joy and not happy, happy, joy, 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 but like a deep, satisfying, contented joy. And our hope 
is a complicated formula. You know, if I could see your hope formula on a, it'd look like an Einstein formula on a chalkboard, you know, and you'd have things that are true hope and false hope and permanent hope and temporary hope and things that are just out of perspective hope. You're putting too much hope and not enough hope there. Um, and we have false hopes that we, we lean on that have varying degree of consequences. I experience and I don't think I'm alone. I would say I hope I'm not alone, but I kind of hope I am alone, you know, and experiencing like the need for temporary hope fixes, you know, like just in the moment, what can make me feel better right now because things don't feel good right now. And so that can be your phone, you know, um, whatever's in there that might make you feel good. It can be substances. We do that a lot. We place um, short, we get short-term satisfaction, but that short-term satisfaction has some long-term consequences that actually keeps us from the long-term joy that we're looking for. And so you drink too much one night, and that'll make you feel good for a little while, but the next morning you're going to pay for it and wonder what you got in return. You do that too much, you're going to burn out your liver and probably more than a few relationships in your life, um, among other things. And you'll have temporary fits of joy, but it's going to keep you from long-term uh, joy. 87,000 people died last year of drug overdoses in the United States. 87,000 people. That is the op opioid crisis in our culture. And that's about hope. That's probably about people that just feel like there is no preferred future coming to them. And so they're settling and get stuck in this present. Pornography is about short-term joy that has giant long-term relational consequences. I mean, it is no coincidence that we are staring at a bunch of Viagra commercials all the time because people have fantasy sex lives that make real sex difficult. And I know that's hitting home for some folks. And it is what it is, and we can talk about it. But, like, that's, it's a problem, you know? And it's a, it's a horrible substitute for the, the real intimacy that we long for that leads to joy, not just physically, but emotionally. And those things are tied together. Uh, and it requires a whole lot of work, and it's difficult and needs the gospel. So that's a short-term fix. What percentage of your eating is emotional and about short-term uh, joy, a short-term hope fix, you know. I Years ago, I gave a sermon where I talked about staring at the pantry at 9 o'clock at night, and a bunch of people are like, I stare at the pantry at 9 o'clock at night. And, be, and that's not about, like, giving my body nutrition to keep it going, and it's not about enjoying the 10,000 taste buds that, buds that God put on my tongue um, so that we can enjoy the bounty that he's given to us. It's about feeling bored or stressed out and wanting just a little bit of relief and something that will make me feel good for the moment. Amazon. Enough said, you know, the NFL draft had 12, 12 million people tuned in to the NFL draft a week and a half ago to watch Roger Goodell read a name every 15 minutes. It's crazy. I might have been one of them. And that's about hope, you know. It's more complicated if your quarterback is Aaron Rodgers and he said he doesn't like you anymore and he might not come back and what's this going to do to my hope? But they, that is a, just a giant exercise in hope. Your team might take, and they know, like, Half of those guys won't be in the league, the first-round guys, in, in three years. But we all still put hope in this is the one that's going to make a difference and make my team a winner. But I associate with my team, so it's going to make me a winner. And it's really kind of a pathetic exercise. But it is what it is, and that's what we do, you know. So all sorts of short-term hope fixes. It gets more complicated than that. Obviously, most of it is more complicated than that. I was talking to a friend this week. And he just mentioned, like, feeling like he's caught up in the rat race. And this guy does not, I mean, he is not, he does not buy all the bright, shiny objects. He is a down-to-earth guy. 
Um, he loves Jesus. He's disciplined, but it just feels like there's so many things that suck up more time than they should. But it seems like just to just to like be in the game, you got to be in them. And I thought about this, and I thought it's true, especially where we live here. That at your job, likely the person that dictates or people that dictate the culture of your work are the people that put too much false hope uh, or the most false hope in their career and what their career can bring to them, the stuff and the status, you know? And so they are going to give more than they ought to, and it's going to kind of raise the tide so you feel like you have to give more than you ought to to something that isn't worth it. Uh, With your kids, it's the same thing. It's the parents that put all their identity in the success of their children that are willing to put all the money and all the time into whatever the activity is. But for you to be a part of that, even at a lesser level, you've got to put in more than you think is worth it. And it's, it's true with all sorts of things, with the house, with the car, with the this and the that. We're fighting against a culture that is putting its hope in the wrong things. And, and then fighting to balance that with God has given us all things richly to enjoy. And so those are good things, you know? And so we should enjoy them, but without putting like undue hope in them or even hope at all in them and recognizing that they are things that come from the one that ultimately gives us our hope. It's complicated, right? But this is where we live. Now, this is what Peter's speaking into. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is all the dots that we've connected Um, from January whatever until now, are in this statement. Blessed be, according to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again. He created us because he loved us and wants fellowship with us. Um, He created us for for a great purpose. Uh, And then we just decided to eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, decided we know better than him. We still make that decision in different ways every day. And it may seem innocent, but it's really an act of rebellion with great consequences. And the whole Old Testament is him trying to lay that out for us and prep us for the salvation that he's going to give us in Jesus. That we can't save ourselves from that, but Jesus has to save us from our sins. So we don't save ourselves. According to his great mercy, he has caused us. He is the one that initiated us. And he didn't cause us to like get our act together so we're good enough and stop doing these things and start doing these things. He caused us to be born again to a living hope. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and we have been raised to new life in Christ Jesus by the grace and by the mercy of God. That is his work uh, on our behalf. And then to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, a living hope, not a static hope. And that means a lot of things. You know, it means that our hope is not in words on a page in a book. Um, it's, it's about the Jesus who is living, alive, resurrected, that the words on the page testify to. Um, that is the one that we place our hope in, in a living, present Holy Spirit. And they want a, a living, active relationship with you now. One of the, the things that struck me the most, uh, if you were able to watch the Pastor X video, and it's still um, there and, and you, can, you can watch that if you want to, with the guy that is pastoring in probably Iran, somewhere in the Middle East, but among a Muslim population. One of the things he said was that when he looks at the Muslim people, he sees a passionate, loving people. They love God. He said they just love the wrong God, and they're disillusioned with Islam because, and I've heard this a bunch of times in a bunch of ways over the years, that in Islam, you do and do and do for God, but you never know where you stand with him. 
uh, until the lights go out. You know, you never know where you stand with them because it's about what you do for him. It's totally different in Christianity, and I hope you get that if you've been here for a minute, you know. It's not about what we do for him. It's him convincing us you could never do enough. I need to do it for you. Um, it's his work on our behalf, not our work on his behalf. And so our, that's where our living hope is, you know. So it's that. It's not words on a page. It's also not hope in a car or a house or a job or an accomplishment or a kid, the things that he can provide for us. Um, and our joy comes out of relationship with the God that made you. Then Peter says this, to an inheritance, born again to a living hope, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The dots have not all been connected. He's going to connect them. He's telling us next week we'll get a glimpse of what it looks like when they're connected. But he's talking about heaven and the consummation of our hope. I have, I have never before reflected on this picture of, of inheritance and how the Bible uses it and references it a bunch of times as much as I have this week. And it's profoundly influenced some things um, in my life and how our faith in the inheritance that is guaranteed for us should affect our present state. We have joy in Christ now, you know, but the fulfillment of hope will not come until then. And I think we know this, but I don't think we really live it out, you know, I d and because it's hard. It's hard to live with a hope that's not yet fulfilled, and you're not sure exactly what that date is, where it's going to be fulfilled. I started thinking about that line, hope deferred makes the heart grow sick, and thought, well, that's Shakespeare, so I can't use it. And then I looked it up. It's actually in the Bible. This is a bad pastor moment. Proverbs 13, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is the tree of life. And so God recognizes that that can be hard, and Peter's going to say it in just a minute, though, though now, for a time, various trials bring you grief. But this hope is something um, that should change our lives, the inheritance that has been promised us. We have, likely, uh, an inheritance coming from my mom's uh, side of the family, and and so I've, I've reflected that on that a bit. And it's not a you-will-never-have-to-work-again type of inheritance, but it is an inheritance um, that is enough that makes you, it impacts the way you think about what you're going to have to save for retirement, that type of inheritance. Like, not that you don't have to, you need to, but like, it just gives you some security there. And it's changed the way that I think and the way that I feel and the way that I act in the present. And so, for one thing, it's made me grateful. Uh, I, I think about my grandfather, who I... Um, didn't really know. He passed away when I was seven or eight years old. He was a child of the Depression. He wasn't in the war because I think he had um, something wrong with his back, and so it disqualified him. He was an accountant. He rode the train in from the suburbs to downtown Chicago every day for years and years and years, was a stockbroker. Um, he passed away at, I think, the age of 60, um, but left my grandmother well enough off that she passed at the age of 93, lived comfortably, did some traveling, and was able to leave an inheritance for her daughters. And as I think about that, in light of this inheritance, I'm impressed. Um, I wish I could sit down with him and say, man, thank you, and what'd you do to do that? Like, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of humbled by it and, and awed by it because he did that. You know, he, he put some money away for college for us. Like, he was thinking about us when he was doing all that, and that changes you. I am relieved. 
you know, I've said this a few times before, and I really hate talking about this, but the church pays us according to market salaries. The per- church pays us what we should get paid. The problem, my, my whatever isn't with the church, but God called me into ministry, and now I'm, you know, in kind of middle age, I can look around and see what other people doing things that I was on track to do or making and what it does for the families and stuff, and that can bother me a little bit, if I'm honest, um, and, and me and God work that through, you know, but we've, we made choices, um, in concordance with what we thought God called us to do. Bobby Joe worked part-time until our kids were uh, in school. Um, we had four kids. We had lots of kids. Kids are expensive. You should have lots of kids because it's totally worth it, you know? But those decisions ch- change the way, uh, y- y- what you do with your money. And so retirement, we've never been on track with retirement, really, the way that we felt like we ought to, and there's always kind of a lingering anxiety about this. A few years ago, we found out, oh, there is going to be some inheritance. It changed that, and it brought some relief to the current situation because we know there's something out there um, that is going to be there for us. Uh, it creates a longing, and I'll say this in two different directions, a longing. One is not a good longing because you're like, man, if we had that now, it would make a lot of things easier <laughs> right now. But another longing, which is uh, I long to pass on an inheritance to my children and to my grandchildren the way that it's been passed on to me. Um, and in general, it's easier to endure things now with the confidence at some point, like there is something that's going to help and it's going to take care of itself in light of that. It's huge. And it's huge when you start thinking about that spiritually. Like the inheritance that we have laid up for us should make us grateful to the one that earned that inheritance on our behalf. And so Jesus came from heaven to earth, died on the cross, rose from the dead to give you an inheritance that is imperishable um, and undefiled and unfading in heaven. And that should give us some sense of awe and gratitude for what he's done for us. And he did it because he loves you. That's why he did it and wanted to lay up that inheritance for you. It should give us patience because we can have confidence that whatever is happening right now and whatever trials we are going through, there will be relief and great relief, ultimate relief in the future um, that is guaranteed by Jesus rising from the dead. And uh, it should give us a longing. Like a, an inheritance could make you really lazy. And, you know, you see that played out in a whole bunch of different ways in our culture when it comes to finances. But spiritually, I think, you know, and this has been a thing that you're too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. No, that's not it. But, but you're like, you think too much about it and then you just forget about what's going on here. What it should do is make us long for as many people that we love around us as possible to partake in that inheritance because it's available for everybody and we should get to work with that now peter goes into what is that inheritance and he says a salvation that is ready to be revealed uh you know we talk about this from time to time that we have been saved past tense have been saved from the penalty of sin and so jesus on the cross our sin has consequences to us and those around us and they're enormous they're way more than we could pay and he has ultimately paid the consequences of those sins we are being saved in the present from the power of sin and so jesus rose from the dead to demonstrate he genuinely has power over the power of sin and death and the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us. And so we have that power, and it's conquering the effects of sin in our life right now. And we will be saved from the very presence of sin in the future, and that is part of that inheritance. And the inheritance is imperishable. It is undefiled. It is unfading. It is a lock if you have trusted in the work of Christ on your behalf that you will receive that 
inheritance. And that's how God wants you to think about it. And the degree to which you focus on that inheritance will absolutely change the way you live your life today. It'll change the way you think. It'll change the way you feel. And it'll change the things that you do. Well, Peter, how should that impact? Peter, Peter would say, I'm glad you asked. He says, in this, you rejoice. You rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, and catch this, the tested genuineness of your faith, and your faith is more precious than gold that perishes, even though it's tested by fire. Test the faith, the gold, all you want. It's still going to perish. Uh, but your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he says, in this you rejoice. That's understated. That word is agalio. It's to be supremely and abundantly happy. A happiness that's neither tentative nor based on circumstances or superficial feelings. Uh, we rejoice that we have a living hope and an inheritance that is sure. Christian, is that what you rejoice in? Do you rejoice in the knowledge of that inheritance? Are you rejoicing in something else um, a lot more than you were rejoicing in that on your Hope Formula board, you know? Or are you having a hard time rejoicing in anything right now? I want to spend a minute diagnosing this because hope is a complicated thing, and I thought, man, you could probably be you know, those of you that are here, here a lot and, and followers of Jesus could be in one of three camps. And one of them is like, you're following Jesus, but you're really not following Jesus and not paying much of attention. And your hope is really wrapped up in the things of the world right now. And you're not paying attention to him now or then. Um, another one is you could be trying to follow Jesus in this world, but you really don't ever think about heaven. And you don't think about the inheritance that's laid up for you. And that'll change the way you think about the trials that you're going through right now. And then the third one is that you're thinking about both. Like you're having hope in Jesus for now, but you, are, you pay attention. You dwell on that inheritance and you're grateful for it. And we go with the first one. If your hope is not primarily in what Christ is doing for you now or will do for you in the future, you either have constant trials now or you're living out a meaningless hope. Jeremiah um, says, says this in Jeremiah 2, or God says this, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And he's talking about hope. Then instead of putting their hope in me, they put their hope in the things that maybe I provide for them that aren't ultimately where hope comes from. And he calls them cisterns, and a cistern is something that holds water. I've never totally understood this. It sounds like they're digging this out of rock, but the water leaks out of it. And so they keep pouring it in, but it keeps leaking out. And those are hope fixes that don't bring the long-term satisfaction that we were created for. Without a living hope, without a living hope in Jesus, in relationship with Jesus, our hope is based on our present circumstances. And circumstances can satisfy in the short term, and really this life is the short term, you know? <laughs> uh, but in the short term, um, but circumstances gone wrong, gone awry, are what constitute suffering, you know, because the thing that we placed our hope in is not coming through for us. I was listening to a pastor talk about this this week, and he talked about um, a book he'd read by Viktor Frankl, who was a doctor that survived the concentration camps in World War II. And he talked about the impact that people's hope had on their behavior. And it, it was, 
um, fascinating, horrifying, um, but it made sense. He said people, he said some people, even the nicest people, when they got to the concentration camps, became just brutal because they viewed it as survival. And their hope was in their ability to conquer the circumstances and maybe other people, they saw it as survival of the fittest. And so all their hope was really in themselves, they became brutal. I thought about that all week and I thought, it's really hard for us to relate to because we're never going to be in a concentration camp like that. But if you live, it, and if we're surrounded by people that are living for this life only, getting what they can, and we are, then maybe what's going on around us is brutal. And people are just getting what they can for themselves without really thinking about the welfare of the people around them. And maybe that explains some things that are going on in our culture. And it's explained by that picture of the concentration camps. He said that's one thing that happens. He said another thing that would happen is people would lose hope completely. And so even the most optimistic people would fade. And in the concentration camps, they would just die uh, because they had no hope that there was a preferred future. I think there are people in our day, you know, the opioid crisis is an example of that, where people just have no hope that they're going to get out of this and get to a preferred future. I think you know, income inequality can get to some of that, where some people think they're never going to have a chance to participate, so they, they lose hope completely. He said that some people held on to thinking that they were going to be able to return to their previous life, the war was going to end, they'd go back, their things would be there, their life would be there, and they could just go back to what it was. And he said that was obviously never the case. And so those people, like after the camps, just ended up really depressed because they could never get back to what they had. And I wonder if that's not people that put their stock in the things of this world and get old only to realize that you can't take it with you. And the older they get, the more maybe nihilistic you get that what is this all about if it's not about something more? And Viktor Frankl said that ultimately was it. A few prisoners kept their inner liberty and held on. He wrote, life only has meaning if we have a hope and a meaning that suffering and even death cannot destroy, that circumstances cannot affect. And he would tell people in the camps, remember that someone is looking down from heaven, a friend, a wife, a spouse, or God. We must not disappoint them. And so your future hope is going to dictate how you act in the present. If your joy, and you can, you can have professed faith in Christ and still live all over here. If your joy doesn't come from what Christ has done or will do for you, then your hope is in your present circumstances. And those are either going to let you down now or they're going to let you down in the future. Your life is either going to be just a giant emotional roller coaster ride of, of getting something and then losing something and getting something and not satisfying and seeking something else. If Aaron Rodgers leaves Green Bay, what are we going to do? Or the housing bubble bursts, what are we going to do? Or your kid goes off the rails, what are we going to do? Um, because you're on the outside looking in because this is all there is. This is all there is. You know, or you have a long eternal future and you're going to grow old and realize this was all short-term stuff. It seemed long-term for 80 years, but what about whatever's after, you know? And you can't, your beauty and your strength or your money, they're all going to fail you. Um, your people probably aren't going to come through for you. Like, it's one of the things that, that makes me think we need heaven because the best of our families have a hard time getting along, you know? We can't fix us. Uh, and you can't take your wealth with you. And that joy was temporal. It was not undefiled. It was not imperishable. It was not unfading. It turns out it was defiled, perishable, and it's fading. And what do I do now? So your hope can be just in the wrong thing, and that's going to have some consequences. If you live with your hope in Christ for now, but not really thinking about the inheritance that you have in the future, you may live a really hard, disappointed life, more so than it needs to be because you're, you don't have things in perspective. 
you'll probably be really disappointed in Christ because you don't have a perspective on truly what he's fully done for you. And the trials of following him will weigh more than they ought to and could just overwhelm uh, your faith. Peter writes, though for now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved, like it's going to be tough now by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. You're going to have trials. And he spends the rest of this letter outlining some trials that they are going through and they're going to go through. At one point he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Uh, Man, the passions of the flesh, the hope fixes. If I could just get that right now, they're wage war against us. It's hard to resist those things. And then he says, as sojourners and exiles, you can't have dual citizenship. Your allegiance will primarily either be to the kingdom of now, to the kingdom of this world, of what I can get today, or to what God says is true about me, like for all time and for the future and God's kingdom. Your allegiance will be one or the other, and you can't have dual citizenship. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. They're going to speak against you as evildoers. That doesn't mean you're going to do evil, but they could see the things that you're doing as evil. That kind of rings true today, right? And when they do that, they'll see your good deeds and glorify God because you've held steady in it because you can, because you have an inheritance that's sure. Uh, Another passage, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, because there are people that might harm you if you're zealous for what you think is good, but even if you suffer, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, but they will be drawn to Christ. And so he says that is, you have a living hope. He is here with you. And so you follow him with gentleness and respect, knowing that these trials have purpose. And so you can endure them looking forward to the inheritance that you have and that he's with you. You can find joy even in the midst of that. The last little passage from 1 Peter 4, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in the midst of your circumstances. You can rejoice because your hope is a living hope. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering so that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you were insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And he talks a lot about sharing in the sufferings of Christ because Christ you know, gave up good things in his present to come from heaven to earth uh, to acquire great things in the future. For the joy set before Christ, he endured the cross and despised its shame and now sits at the right hand of the Father. And we're called to follow him, which means we may give up some good things in the present to follow Christ. And he's given us all things richly to enjoy. So we're going to get to enjoy some of them because they're gifts from God, but we're going to give up some of them to live for him in the present. We're going to give up our time We're going to give up our treasures. We're going to give up some opportunities that the world provides. And some days that's going to feel totally worth it. And other days, it's just going to feel difficult. You'll be grieved, but you can rejoice in the midst of that. And you won't be alone. And you won't be without purpose because you know that those trials, they have a purpose. It's the tested genuineness of your faith. It's purifying your faith. And that bit at the end where it says uh, that your faith will 
well, result in, in um, the, the praise and glory and honor. One pastor suggested this, and he read eight commentaries that said the same thing, that the language is so strange that it's not your praise and honor and glory of Jesus. It's Jesus' praise and honor and glory of you because of the purity of your faith. And that fits, you know, with another part of the Bible where God says, well done, my good and faithful servant. And that's mind-blowing, you know. Uh, there can be joy in the midst of the grief because you're looking forward. And so that's that third category. If you live with both your hope in Christ now and the assurance of the inheritance in the future, and you, you contemplate that, you meditate on that, you will be grateful. <laughs> you know, you will be grateful because Jesus did that work on your behalf, and he was thinking about you when he earned that inheritance, and he's laid it aside and it's there for you, and that will change the way that you think about Jesus. You will be patient in your current circumstances because you know, even though it seems like they're never going to end, they are going to end. They are going to resolve, and there's purpose with them while you're going through them, and you will be seeking to bring others into that inheritance because why wouldn't you? Because it's fantastic. It's a critical piece. This is a critical thing that I think the church probably used to emphasize too much, but now I'm certain that the church emphasizes too little. And the question that, that, you know, bugged me all week was for us as a church, Oak City Church, are we living as a people that have no inheritance? Are we living like a people that have no inheritance? Paul at one point talks about this to the Corinthians. He says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, if in Christ we have hope for this life only, and we're not looking towards the future, we are, of all people, of all people, the most to be pitied. He says, don't live like that. And I fear that we are. We say two more things about this. One, heaven is not, um, it's not, when, it's about mansions and streets of gold. There's streets of gold and mansions. That is not, like, heaven is not um, an unlimited supply of short-term hope fixes, joy fixes that make me feel good in the moment. That's not what it is. You know, heaven is relational. This is eternal life that they might know you and the one whom you've sent, Jesus. Um, it's a father who loves you. And I've, uh, three years ago, my family went on a trip. We loaded up in the van for 16 days. We drove around the country. It was, it was the best vacation um, of my life. And I don't know if it was as magical for the rest of the family as it was um, for me and for Bobby Joe. I think it was, though. We talk about that fondly. And this is weird because I'm recording on Friday and sitting with my family right now. And so I'm probably like slinking out of the room somewhere, giving myself a little break to get in the back. You know what I mean? But, but it, it was awesome. And, and the highlight of it for me was an afternoon in Montana where we had nothing to do, no place to be. We're on the side of this mountain. We're just hanging out together, playing games, and reading books, and eating. And it was... Uh, amazing. You have a, a father in heaven, and he wants to spend some time with you on the side of a mountain in a cabin in Montana just to hang out because he delights in you. He thinks about you, and it just brings joy to him. And y'all, that should blow our minds. That should be any better than any type of temporary hope fix we could get. And that is the eternity. That is the inheritance. That is what's stored up for us is the relationship with the Father. And our pain is going to go away and the dysfunction in our relationships is going to be washed away in the perfect love of that Father. And it's awesome. I know there are some 
they're watching, I'm glad that you're here and that you've hung in this far that might think, man, that's just something nice for people to believe in, um, to make them feel good. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like a spiritual hope fix uh, for people who are too weak to face this world. It's a crutch for people who need something to make them uh, feel better. You know, and it does make you feel better. Um, and it is a crutch. And I'm a weak person, so I need a crutch. And it is foolish if it's not true. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead to give us a living hope and an assurance that the inheritance is real, uh, it's foolish. And Paul addressed that too. He said, if Christ hasn't risen from the dead, my preaching is in vain, and so is your faith. We are wasting our time. But if he did rise from the dead, then it's all true, <laughs> and all your desires are bound up in that inheritance. And it's foolish to ignore it. And foolish to hew out for yourself broken cisterns that hold no water and keep pouring water and water and water in them. And it's foolish to ignore and deny what you're made for. And you can step into it and live it out and have this source of gratitude towards the Jesus who earned it for you because he loves you and patience towards your current circumstances knowing that short-term trials will give way to long-term security. And you can work to get as many people around you as you can in on this inheritance because it's the best thing that ever happened to them. And it's true because Jesus was a real person who lived a real life and died a real death. And they never found the body. And the church testified to one thing. Jesus has risen from the dead and they changed the world with it. They didn't do it alone. They did it by the power of the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And he's there for you today. And what you have to do is get on your knees before him and say, Jesus, thank you. I needed this. I didn't deserve it. You did it for me. I give my life to you. And you can be born again into a living hope in Jesus with an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, earned for you by the Jesus who loves you. Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you that it speaks so directly to the life that we live day by day as followers of you. And I pray, God, that it speaks to those of you that have not yet placed their faith in you. That even if they, they may believe it, but they haven't taken that step of trusting you and receiving that gift for themselves. Would this morning be the morning that they surrender to you, Lord, uh, and that they are born again to a living hope in Christ, an active relationship uh, with the God who loves them and is present around them and has earned an inheritance for them and desires to spend eternity with them. We love you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.